0: Casting from Fairfax, Virginia, you are now listening to the Highlight Cast.
1: Hello and welcome back to the Highlight Cast. My name is Roman Zelenko, Director of Digital Government here at Highlight, and our team is excited to be back with a deep dive into the federal development process through three stages: pre-production, development, and post-development and maintenance, alongside various team members both from management and the technical side. Today, we're starting with the pre-production part of the show, alongside Kevin Long, who is the VP here at Highlight, and Kevin Milner, who is a Program Director. Welcome, guys. Thank you. How's it going, Roman? So as we know from experience, that standing up a new development program takes time and ensuring you lay out that initial foundation. This initial episode will focus more on that post-award scenario. This is after it's been awarded, this is after our team has been given the win, and we're starting. We're going to go through a couple different scenarios that we've all run into and just kind of discuss them. So the first one, we're going to talk about tech stack change. You know, a lot of the time when we're starting the program, we're proactively staffing a lot of different technical resources. We're working through business analysts. We're trying to anticipate what we see coming down the pipeline. So let's talk about what happens. Or or
2: what they specifically list in the RFP.
1: Also true. So if let's say a scenario where we got you know we got a java program we're proactively already sourcing java people we're sourcing java developers we're sourcing people that know this technology what happens if we get in there and we notice that everything's c sharp what happens if we get in there and we see a tech stack that we just don't anticipate
2: you know sure i mean that that that's a trickier one cuz i'll tell you the best c sharp developers i've ever found have actually been java developers but,
1: <laughs> but i mean that, uh, I, I, I actually besi- do agree
2: with you on that one. So. Beside that, at least from a transition in point of view, and then I'll let Kevin talk about how it happens and feels on the ground. First thing you do is you re-scrub all of the resumes of the people that you've got, and you see who are the switch hitters that fit both, right? And then you pick up the phone and you call all of them and make sure that since an Audible has been called by the customer, that it's still a job they're interested in doing. The customer isn't changed. The mission isn't changed. But what IDE you're using probably has. And so that's the first thing that I do in concert with notifying recruiting. <laughs>
1: I guess sometimes we do get lucky, we you know, it doesn't change that much, it stays still stays object oriented development. So you have that developer that's able to adjust.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's easier with more senior folks programming being a mindset and the rest being syntax. If you've done it long enough, you probably have the syntax for several languages somewhere locked up there. So how about you, Kevin? I'm sure you've come in and and had things thrown sideways at you like that.
0: Oh, yeah. Very much so. In that sort of situation, there's more concern than just switching from Java to C-sharp. They're basically the same language, but the environment that surrounds it is so much different. One is more Windows-focused and the other is more generally in a Linux environment. But what you want to do is make sure, as you said, when you go in and are hiring for this position, you want to make sure that you have somebody that has a firm understanding of the concepts of programming. Anybody can write any language in any language. I mean, they're all equivalent under the hood. And if you understand that, it's not that hard to move from one language to another. There may be some translation delays, but in general, if they're strong enough on the fundamentals, they should be able to adapt easily. One of the instances I can think of that we had, we came in to a project and the tech stack wasn't quite defined. We recruited, assuming we were gonna be doing Java development. Then they came to us and said, hey, we need Drupal and-
2: That's pretty deep shift.
0: Yeah, fortunately, the guy that we were talking to to be our tech lead anyway, we put on a requirement, hey, do you know Drupal? And it turns out he did. So fortunately we were able to bring him on. And then the hilarious thing was immediately after we said, Hey, we got you a Drupal guy. They said, Yeah, we don't want to do Drupal. And we actually ended up doing everything on service now. So, you know, the the plan that you have when you get awarded is often not the plan that you end up hitting the ground with.
1: And that's, that's actually a very good point. Let's say, what is the type of candidate that you're looking for? What is the optimal candidate? Are you looking for somebody that has 10 years experience in one language? Or are you looking for somebody that's, you know, did two years of this one, two years of this one, and you can tell they've adjusted. Because from my experience, you know, coming from development, sometimes Java is not the best language for it. Being able to realize that your favorite language doesn't fit all problems. It takes time. So, you know, I'll throw this one to Kevin. Well, Kevin Long first.
2: Sure. That is very program specific. There are contracts out there. Their tech stack isn't going to shift because it's technology that's 12 years old. Right. The cost and the work and the risk to just suddenly up and shift it to a different, more modern stack isn't going to happen. Right. And so at that point, you truly are hiring I don't want to call him a tool jockey per se but you are hiring cold fusion developer right <laughs> for example or or something like that something that isn't super popular in industry anymore and so at that point you're looking for deep and specific experience now where we're doing our more devsecops sort of leaning stuff where we are contracted to provide n number of developers that can do modern software development through modern in quotes with you know using agile sec ops and things like that then yeah i would say i look for i tend to like t-shaped experience which is shallow Wide. but broad yeah in a lot of stuff but then deep in a very specific thing right and you want to be able to have the vertical on the T in several different things, full stack developers. Nobody handles every part of the stack as well as others. You know, so you have a full stack that is really good at backend database, SQL things like that. Really good at UI/UX front end development. Really good at at the middle tier and business logic stuff. Right. So it really depends a lot on the program. Like, is the technology that they have not going to change for business price or political reasons, then you got to go look. Then you're looking for an eye-shaped experience where it's, you have the person that knows what the customer is using and that's it, right? Not that's it, but that's their primary focus. And then you have the more generalized software development where, heck, we might jump to mobile. Development or things like that, where you look for people that have done a little bit of a lot, but has an expertise in a specific thing.
1: So, tossing it to Kevin Milner, from a tech perspective, when you bring on people to your program, how do you judge if somebody's willing to learn, that wants to learn, that wants to change their skill set? You know, I've run into people that just want to do one language for their entire career. I've run into people that really want to shift to the DevOps side, that want to learn this new skill set. What are some of the things that you look for on your program specifically that kind of shows that, you know, shows a developer that's willing to adjust?
0: yeah one of the things i like to do is when i'm asking someone and talking to someone i like to sort of focus on the soft skills a little bit to get an idea of the direction that they take their hard skills so if i ask somebody you know what do you like to do for fun what's your idea of relaxing if their idea of relaxing is studying pipelines right yeah building pipelines then
2: <laughs> we know okay. those people
0: yeah yeah so, I try to get a feel for the person. There's a few technical questions I can ask from a computer science background that you can assess how able someone would be or how non specific to a language they are, you know, and things like that. So, I just generally try to get to know the person and see if that's going to be the way that they operate mentally.
2: Naturally curious. Yeah. yeah. Asking a lot
1: of questions, figuring out exactly what they're working on, and then suggesting like, hey, why aren't we using you know, Kubernetes instead of OpenShift? Or asking those questions that we want them bringing up in conversation when they see the environment. Isn't so,
2: OpenShift a Kubernetes platform?
0: No, it's a Red Hat platform. It's, oh, uh, no, my bad. It's like a wrapper around some of the cloud aspects of Kubernetes. Okay. Yeah. Slight, slight variance. Again,
2: yeah, I'm coming. No, I mean, we we've learned I'm not technical anymore, just technical enough to be dangerous.
1: Right. That it happened to How quickly it does change though. So,
2: well, speaking of that, that's the, the other thing that you look for, right? It's people that are always looking for the next thing, right? You know, my, mm-hmm. my next thing became business focused stuff a while ago. And, Stick with that. But when we're looking at, at, at the technical folk, right, really, it's the people that are excited to find out, you know, what's next on the automation and DevOps front on it.
1: And And it really comes down to us as being the leadership on the program to determine what resources are ready for that next step or figuring out what they yeah. want out of that. It's figuring out. All you know, right, this developer really wants to shift to a leadership role. We've had so much luck finding you know senior developers that really want to take that lead role and training them from within. So it's been a big success on some of our programs. Shifting over a little bit. So let's say backups. How do we prepare? How do we do we overstaff? Do we keep options open before we even start the program? At what point do we so stop backup this? candidates? Yes, backup candidates. So let's say we have our initial 10 resources for the program. Do we close out the openings, the recs, or do we keep them open and continue having, all right, let's say this is a scenario if we need more DevOps resources, or we need to shift this resource off and move them to a different program. What are some options we have there?
2: Sure, I'll take this. Uh Yeah, you're essentially always looking to have a pipeline of, smart, talented candidates coming into the company. So for job openings that are not just specific to one program or even with the one program, honestly, because they can be harder to find, we tend to keep job openings open so that we can keep finding people so that there's a backlog of folks that might want to come in so that when we win new business, we, we've got people or if someone wins the lottery, right? And then they're like, hey, we love working with you, Highlight, but I have $325 million in the bank, so I'm going to go buy an island instead. We're, we're not hung up, right? And so, yeah, I have to have a very good reason to close a good general uh, hiring category.
1: And that works. And Kevin Milner, sorry, i got to figure out another way to address both of you. That's a big thing. Maybe for the next session. Anything that you'd like to add for that one?
0: You know, I mean, I had a lot of traumatic experience with job hunting. So I tend to be more on the job hunters, you know, try to see things from their, their viewpoint a little bit more. So I try not to like, just have people hoping that we'll call them back, you know, with an offer as much, you know, I mean, I'm not really in a position where that ever actually happens. But having said that, I try to focus with my teams on having, in in technology, you have what's called the bus metric, which is if you have a team and a member of the team gets hit by a bus, how many days down are you before you can be back up to speed in terms of knowledge that's lost from your poor dead developer? So
2: that's why I use the lottery example. It's so much so much less gruesome.
0: Yeah. Well, we're different people. <laughs> but but the way I try to address that is I try to make sure that we cross train as much as we can on our team so that it's not quite so imperative that if we lose a member of the team, we can, you know, we can't function till we get our, our DevOps guy in. You know, I try to make sure that that everybody at least has an idea of how to fake the other guy's job until we can get a replacement.
1: A like cross, cross-trained team is always yeah. a good option. So yeah, that actually leads us very well into our second scenario for the podcast. The second scenario is more focused on balanced teams. I've seen a lot of situations where techn- all tech, all developers are prioritized rather than having A handful of developers, business analysts, testers, you know, scrum masters, et cetera. So what are some of the benefits of having a balanced team over an all developer focused team? I'll send this over to KL first.
2: Ah, Okay. So benefits of a balanced team. Sure. Balanced team allows you to tackle more than one type of problem, right? I mean, a lot of the hardest parts of the types of programs that we do aren't just the technical pieces of it it's understanding the the full scope of what needs to be built who the stakeholders are understanding where there's a difference in what the definition of done is from from customer to customer as well as what needs to be documented at the end of it and and the work that that that's that's going to be documented to come after and how things are organized and executed. It's always good to have a people person, not just a machine person on on a team, I think. Now, now some customers will say, you know, only tech people on this team. And then the question that I will ask is, awesome, no problem. Who from another contract or the government is going to be providing your Scrum Mastership? or your business analysis or the things like that. So that, that if we're if we are only being the tech part of a team, then I want to know where the rest of the team is that has those soft skills uh, wrapped around is is going to come into it.
1: I I mean coming from development, I know going and asking clients questions throws you off for the rest of the day when mm-hmm. it comes to your process. You could be in the middle of your algorithm and as soon as you're disturbed from an email, there goes that train of thought. So having that dedicated resource you know that business analyst who is sometimes cross-trained to do other functionality allows your developers to develop to focus on their train of thought it's just focus on solving that problem and you just get a better product quicker kevin milner what are you thinking
0: yeah so like if you if you have your testers your qa people if they are also the developers there's going to be an inherent bias in them and when they're doing something they're like oh. I'm not going to go ahead and click on it this way because I know that the Windows messaging system is, can get delayed. Are you or saying some,
1: developers shouldn't do their own testing?
0: No, no. I'm not talking <laughs> about Yes, that. yes. I'm developers not talking, shouldn't do their own testing.
1: I mean, obviously I want to break the, the thing I was working on for the past several weeks and I'll do everything I can to you know,
0: show right. that, right? Yeah, I'm not talking about just regular testing. I'm talking about QA You know before we ship it out making sure it doesn't embarrass us testing and what Um, you need is somebody that doesn't know how the sausage was made to to go in and you know i guess to continue that metaphor taste it and make sure there's no horse parts in it uh you know so um (laughs) so what what you want to do is uh you know you want to you want to have somebody that is knowledgeable in the Domain that you're working in, test it to make sure that it meets their needs. Because, you know, I, as a programmer, I'm an expert on programming. I'm not an expert on government procurement. So, you know, what we want to do is make sure that for the testing purposes, we include non technical people that are going to test it and hopefully break the application. Because it's much better to break it in a test. Than to have you know, you can ask Bill Gates when he's out there demoing a Windows, I think it was ninety eight, and it just blue screened of death on him. You know, that's one of those things you don't want to have happen. So, not a bug, that's a feature. That was
1: that was something we experienced yeah. multiple times. Yeah. But I completely agree with you. I think a lot of the time asking the right questions is a, is a skill set. Being able to work with the clients, being able to approach them and show them we really understand this and working with them to figure out what they want, you need a dedicated resource for that. Mm-hmm. A lot of developers I've worked with, they really just want to focus on the development side. They want to make sure they're building it. They're not as into asking the questions, figuring out the requirements. They just want to do what they're specializing in yeah mr long any experience in that again i'm changing the names i'm giving you guys so we're going from macro i'm going from initials to last names i'll figure it out
2: yeah ask me one more time
1: so we're talking more on specializing and asking the right questions so a lot of the times, the developer is not going to be the one to work with the stakeholders to get those requirements to figure out what they want. Sometimes you need somebody that specializes in building and asking and documenting, putting it, breaking it out in the stories, etc. Oh, sure. So, I
2: mean, I mean, absolutely. I mean, and that's why when you don't have a balanced team that has people that are are focused on that, the first question I ask to our customer is, who do we have that we get that from? Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, that's. It is absolutely a different, a different skill set for that. You know, I would not ask a capture manager to write software.
1: Well, not good software. <laughs> <laughs> You'll right? write something. So yeah. Hello world. So if, if that, I mean, it would be yeah. nice. Well, one thing I know we've experienced is we've cross-trained some people, and I think the best combination of cross-training actually comes with a business analyst who also can do five-way testing, for example. That's somebody that understands sure. what the client wants, knows enough about the technology to be able to dive in a little bit, and in case there's downtime, you know, adjust, shift, and support other
0: parts of the business. So you need the people person from Office Space.
2: There's a people person in office. Space? There, there is. He takes the plans from the tech, the, from the tech people to the managers. Yeah, absolutely.
0: No, well, does he podcast. physically take them? Yeah. No, it, his secretary does it. But he, he he's oh. part of the process. What is the matter with you?
2: <laughs> yeah, well, so, that's okay. He can have his jump to conclusions, Matt.
1: Yeah. Uh, Sorry. So for anyway, our next it, podcast will be a movie discussion about tech-focused movies.
2: This
0: happens when Kevin and I get in a conversation together.
2: It's, it's kind it's of okay. unavoidable.
1: Yeah, I, It's expected. Frank's going to have a blast with that one. <laughs> <laughs> so Pardon? the next question is more focused on experience and certifications for some of these resources. Are there any certifications that really stand out, or is it more on contract-specific for example, so you know, a trusted tester for supporting a DHS client. Or, you know, an AWS certification. You know, there's tons of them out there. How do we tell people, all right, focus on this one? Or
2: sure. Go after I mean, this? security plus is an easy one to pull out there. I mean, a- anywhere in DOD, if you want to be an admin on any system, Security Plus is the is the fastest certification that meets the DOD calls for that. PMP. Absolutely is all over the place uh, for that, for, any, uh, for management. Any Agile ones? Any? So I actually just reading today an RFP where uh, PMI's Agile certified project management cert was accepted as a replacement or an addendum to a, to the PMP cert. Oh, so yeah. there's definitely that. I've seen, not with his requirements, but nice to have uh, safe Agilists and CSMs. Mm-hmm. The certified Scrum master.
1: So I always end up looking for the certification and then application of that cert. So if you have a safe agile, making sure that you know, all right, what's the benefit of agile? Is there mm-hmm. is this the right fit or is there a better fit? You know, not oh, yeah. just yeah. Uh, How about absolutely. you, Mr. Milner? Any any certs from your side that just really you see them I and you're like, this is it. This yeah. is the
0: one. I'm not as big a fan of certs. I don't always hold them as, as I mean, it shows that somebody can pass the certification test Mm
2: -hmm.
0: and Mm -hmm. that's, you know, that, that is a skill in and of itself. I'm not sure how much it always has a direct relevance to some projects, but that's just my personal opinion. You know, studying for the PMP, a lot of it was like this doesn't have any reflection on the real world. This is just, can you study to pass this test? And so I'm not as in odd of certificates as probably, you know, I I once was, but I mean, they are kind of a shortcut for being able to say, well, this, this person has at least been exposed in depth to this technology stack or that sort of thing.
1: Mm -hmm. and that's a that's a good point i can't say that having a cert versus not having a cert will show that this resource is any better or any worse i've had situations or both situations have happened
2: so oh yeah i mean certificates are great or certifications are great for the you must be this tall to ride yeah right i mean it's 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 all it's on paper but it but then it's it is absolutely. I mean, it's a it does not obviate the necessity to evaluate the person and the work that that they're doing with that. But yeah, I mean, we're seeing more. But there are some tests that I've seen that are difficult enough that unless you actually use the work or use the tool, you won't be able to pass it. The, the AWS certified architect professional level, not associate level. Right. That is that's that's a no-joke exam, right? Where you're going to have to know AWS to be able to do that. Yeah to, to get that certification. And so I, I put some weight in that. Similar to well I guess a little contrary to what Milner was saying with the PMP, it says that you know a broad scope of different project management capabilities. The PMP is for building space shuttles, software, and skyscrapers, right? And so any certification that allows you to manage such wide and varying types of projects is going to have very different things that aren't going to fit for your particular type of expertise. And so... You can pick and choose those once you've done that, but it does show that you have an exposure to and an understanding of the principles that would drive that type of work.
0: Yeah. And so, for transparency, Mr. Long has his PMP and I have not yet taken my test. So that that probably does.
2: Hard, hardest <laughs> multiple choice test I've ever taken. I'm in the same
1: boat with you, Mr. Milner. Yes. <laughs> You know, I some people just don't enjoy tests. Mr. Long yeah. has that skill set, he's able to do it. So,
2: do you think I enjoy tests? Yes. Uh, yeah, I think so, yeah. <laughs> We're going no. on the record. There, there there's a difference between enjoying and excelling at them. Yeah, yeah. all right, fair.
1: Oh, that's fair. No, I'm still practicing. It's just occasionally you get sidetracked with the, again, I'm with Milner. Some of the questions are not the way you would do it in the environment. Mm -hmm. Some you have to adjust quickly. Every client's going to be different, it's never exactly like it states. So, But I do agree with Mr. Long with the AWS cert. I have seen that. I've seen some of the developers and the DevOps resources that have studied for it. It is tough. We recently just had one of our architects on a different program pass the architect exam from AWS. It it took him weeks of studying. So that is that was no joke.
2: And he uses AWS every day.
1: Yeah. So that one really demonstrates like, hey, you know your stuff. Yeah. But Shifting over a little bit, are there any future technologies? And I guess this one's going to Mr. Milner. Yeah, are there please. any fu- future technologies that you're, you see coming in? Do you see any shift into, say, GCP or Azure? Or, you know, what's the next thing that, well, your prediction? And we'll note it down now and oh, come back prediction? in a few months and see if you
0: got it. No, uh, no pressure. My prediction, the DoD, or at least, army side seems to be going all in on service now. So low code solutions, I think, are are sort of are sort of where a lot of these are going. You know, I'm a classically trained developer. So the idea that's sort of like who? You don't write your own memory management routines. <laughs> but you know, I also, for instance, on my project, we've we in a year have produced an MVP ready for its initial deployment that that does pretty much everything they wanted for an initial MVP and we were able to do that with a a team of four developers, a UX designer and and me hindering the whole operation so you know that was that was pretty incredible so I think I think platforms like that ServiceNow Salesforce, those sorts of things are a pretty good indication of what's to come in this particular space. I mean obviously you're not going to use it to write a video game, but you know for for managing for instance DoD workflows, approval workflows, it's it's a great tool, very flexible.
1: So with with the no-code solution, are you saying that there's going to be less uh, dependence Low-code. on Low code with the low code solution. Are you saying there's going to be less of dependence on, you know, full stack engineers, you know, trained DevOps resources, and it's going to shift to less technical people, or
0: for this domain? And and I mean, they still they still are doing coding. There's still some JavaScript that our guys have written. They write tests for the automated testing framework. A lot of the underlying stuff is taken care of for you. So Mm -hmm. for this domain. Government contracting, I, I think that that is a really good kicking off point in that, that you know, you don't have to worry about things like developing for mobile app and web app and, you know, how are we going to put it in, in Nippernet and stuff like that. It's already handled by this multi-billion dollar corporation. Uh, service now, so all we have to do is customize it for what we need. Uh, so, I mean, it's still going to require technical people. You're not going to have as many of the needs for like the the high power technical, you know, the the AWS architects and stuff. Though they will they will probably migrate towards actually working at AWS or or you know some of the middleware companies that provide stuff to service now so what we'll see is maybe a little bit of the more elite people becoming more elite and the less elite people being able to fill in some of those those spaces so i think it'll actually end up being more opportunities for more diversified people instead of just rock stars Mm -hmm. and don't get me wrong
1: That's actually a good thing. It makes it easier for us to find people too.
0: Yeah, I mean, I love rock stars, but you know, it's harder to find them. We can get people jobs. That's that's what I'm happy with. So
1: and before i send it to mr long I, I think the future is going to be more on the modernization side as people start shifting things to cloud it's not just mm-hmm. the lift and shift which is a cringe term it's more of determining how you mo- how you modernize it what are you going to redevelop what do you actually need to move from this large application oh yeah a, lo- a lot of the times it's not the whole app you only need like a couple sections and instead of moving the whole thing you shift over parts and that's and, where a good business analyst that asks the right questions comes in.
0: Oh, yeah. So. And, and there's definitely places for modernization. I think that, like, for instance, the FAA is still using, you know, vacuum tubed computers with punch cards. Um, and what you're seeing now is that's not adequate. There's a nearly every day now There's there's news stories of near misses or in Boston Logan last week, they had planes backing into each other at the gate. So, you know, definitely modernization is extremely important because old stuff can't keep up with uh, the new stuff. It's just not designed to process the volumes or, you know, whatever the the particular issue is.
1: Yeah, I mean, and it takes a unique skill set to be able to read, you know, Fortran mm -hmm. or Pascal and modernize that into another language or move it to the cloud or cold fusion, for example. Yeah. Mm All those yeah. poor cold fusion developers. Ah, uh, maybe one day we'll do a podcast just for them. <laughs> you know, all four of them. Uh, and uh, and go. Mr. Long, what do you think is the future of? Cold you know, fusion. what what's the next thing that we're going to be looking for? Wow, certification wise or no, you know, technology? wise no, honestly,
2: I think it's going to be ways to. Uh, visualize and integrate more disparate types of data as more and more comes through that, whether it be through AI, or through what have you with that, that's,
1: there you go. But that's a different approach too. I like it. Mm -hmm. So now that we're coming up, the big, big takeaways is being able to constantly be aware of the program. If you're starting a new program, just Looking at everything, figuring out, all right, this this we're foreseeing this to change. We are expecting this language to come in, and being prepared for any of those shifts. Mm-hmm. And again, you can't be prepared for all of them. And having a backup position open or always sourcing is another way to approach it. And now I'll bring it back to you know your earlier developer days. What is one thing that you remember that a stakeholder pm scrum master did that was, you know, impactful, beneficial for you? You know, well, what's something that in your earlier times when you were just starting out, what's something that you saw that, you know, stuck with you? And I'm going to start
0: with Mr. Milner cuz I see you're ready. <laughs> it's more what my first development job that I had that I liked wasn't my first development job, but it was the first one I actually liked. It was a two-person team. We wrote medical device drivers for an emergency room software thing. But, you know, I was, I was young and stupid, and, like, we'd get these issues with the driver, and I'd want to go and refactor the whole thing and rewrite it because the person who wrote it before didn't know what they were doing, obviously. They weren't me. And my mentor said, you know what? do the least amount of change possible to fix the problem. And and that's actually, you know, really good advice. And that, that one has always stuck with me. So, so like try to have the minimum amount of, uh, of changes, you know, for, for a thing in order to solve the problem. That's just, a good, it's a, a
1: very good point. I like it. And Mr. Kevin Long.
2: Sure. Uh, what I remember wasn't it wasn't actually from a, a business analyst or anything like that. It was actually from a nurse that I was working with at a startup where we were writing disability claim management software. I was a junior developer, right? And I started to ask questions about the software, and she stopped me and said, "Hold on." I think our time would better be spent if you understood the work that we do and what outcomes we're trying to have. So you understand from my point of view, what what it's trying to do, because I'm not going to understand the software, but I think that if you understand our end goals, you can make the software do what we need it to do. And as someone who was not a comp sci major did not take business analysis classes having a customer be willing to take the time and sort of work through that i mean at the end of it you know she was like you understand our processes and what we do better than you know 90 percent of the people that work for me if you would like to come have this job just let me know (laughs) the answer was no i I did not (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I did not want want to be a disability claim manager but to this day I I can articulate a lot of their processes and what they what they do with that and that was 2001 when when I did that and it it made a real impact on me
1: That's good that's actually something that our our USAS team did they did a site visit and they were able to see what their changes were actually doing how they were helping the case processing go. So it was definitely impactful when the developer sees that they're making a direct impact on the mission. So yeah. for me, my biggest impact had to be when I first started, I you know do I actually started in DoD contracting so back in college and I had a PM that backed you up so usually you get that hard deadline and you will burn yourself out to try to hit it and get it wrong having somebody that came from a technical background and you know push back and say hey this is not going to happen and having that support is the reason I wanted to do management afterwards you know being able to support developers from a perspective of being a developer so, it was always nice to see that, hey, this will get done, but we want to do it right rather than burning out our resources. Yeah. So with that one, thank you for listening to the HighlightCast. To keep up to date with Highlight's news and activities, follow us on LinkedIn and visit our website, highlighttech.com. Tune in to our next episode, and thank you. And we'll see you on uh, session two for the software development lifecycle. The views and opinions expressed in this episode are those of the hosts and do not necessarily reflect Highlight Technologies and or any agency of the U.S. government.